Two men on a mission to change the face of the organ world. Driven by their passion for the king of instruments, these two seek to share their love of the pipe organ with as many people as possible. Through their own arrangements of popular film, TV, and video game music, our hosts use their unconventional approaches to inspire pipe organ enthusiasts, both young and old, and to bring new audiences to this magnificent instrument. Together with you, they will journey through the fascinating world of the pipe organ, always eager and never afraid to break with tradition. Rob Labinsky and Johnny Salimovich are the Organ Mavericks. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Organ Mavericks podcast. I am your host, Rob Labinsky. And I'm your other host, Johnny Slamovich. This is episode 15, and today we're going to be taking a look at the history of silent films and, more importantly, the uh, the organ's role in conjunction with silent films. And in particular, we'll be looking at the theater organ um, as, as it relates to silent films. Just a little bit of a disclaimer before we, we jump into this. Johnny and I are not experts on this subject. Um, you know, we're both you know interested in in the history you know of of silent movies and theater organs, um, but it's by no means our area of expertise. So we'll we'll be learning along with you guys. Yeah, indeed. Since uh, of course, since uh, Rob just mentioned, both of us are definitely very interested in the history regarding the organ in general, especially when it comes to silent movies. Silent movies and uh, and uh, the th- and the theater organs involvement in this uh, in this uh, in this particular matter. We're definitely not really good with the history here. So, yeah, this is definitely a new. Th- uh, this is pretty. This is pretty much a new thing for us to go through this, and so this will definitely be an interesting. Uh, how shall how shall we put this? Uh, I guess you could uh, refer to it as walking down memory lane, even though we don't really remember <laughs> most of this. So we'll just we're pretty much going to wing it from here, is what we're basically saying. Yes. So yeah. Yep. And I also want to give one one other personal disclaimer for for myself. I am not theater organ's biggest fan. I I certainly appreciate the instrument. I I appreciate you know people who can do it and its and its place in the organ world and organ culture. I'm just not a fan of listening to the instrument, and it's not that I don't appreciate people who can play it well. It's just it's not my cup of tea. Um, so I am approaching I am approaching this topic with an academic um, mindset, you know, of you know looking into you know the history and and how it how it all came to be and its place in the world. Yes. So, yeah, and hopefully as unbiased as possible yes. as well. Yeah. yeah, it's not that I have anything against it, um, because I certainly don't. It's just that it's you know it, it it's not something that I would choose to go out and listen to, you know. On any kind of regular basis. <laughs> mm, yep, that's definitely understandable. And so, yeah, we do have at least one article that's open in front of us right now from uh, from uh, Thomas J. Uh, Matheson, who was a graduate, I believe, from Indiana University. We will leave a link to that uh, 
I'll leave a link. We will leave a link to that article, or I'm not sure if it's an article or uh, some uh, an article. Uh, is it an article or a thesis or? Yeah, um, I think it's. It might be a thesis. Yeah. I don't know. It comes. It comes from the Indiana Theory Review, uh, Volume Eleven. Okay. Yeah. And so we will leave a link to this article or a thesis for you guys in the episode notes for you guys to look up this article yourself. And even maybe some more links that we have uh, found for uh, you fellow Mavericks to look up for yourself. Or even uh, look it up al- look it up alongside with us as we go through these uh, research materials. And so without further ado, referring to the uh, article here in front of us, The Silent Film Music and Theater Organ by Thomas J. Matheson. Starting with the introduction, uh, well, we probably may not read through the entire thing, but probably just uh, it's a it's a read. thirty-seven page article. I don't think we we'll, I don't think we we need to read through the whole thing. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely not. No, we're just gonna take some uh, talk, talking uh, talking points from this article and uh, refer to refer to some other uh, web pages and articles that we've uh, found to. Uh, to delve a little bit deeper into the history of uh, the silent, you know, the silent film, uh, the silent film genre, and, uh, and the theater organs involvement with it, of course, as yep. that's the topic of this episode. Yep, and I, I think before we really jump into you know the discussion of the theater organ, we should probably take a a, a brief look at silent movies themselves. Aha, uh-huh, yes, we should do that first. Yep. So. Uh, I, in a number of different articles that I read coming across this, I found that the the term silent movie is really a misnomer, and it's something that was really retroactively applied to early cinema because um, you know of the fact that you know there was not you know there was no soundtrack, there was no dialogue or anything that accompanied the films like we think of it today. You know, you go and you hear you know, there's a soundtrack and there are, you know, the actors are talking and all of that and sound effects and things like that. And, you know, the early films didn't have the the capability of doing this, but, you know, and so, so they refer to them as silent films. You know, you think about the things where they put up the little cards, you know, in between the things that, you know, that give the dialogue of what the actors are saying. But one, the thing that I kept finding over and over again was these movies that are, you know, quote, quote unquote, silent films were never intended to be silent. They were it was always intended for there to be some kind of musical accompaniment to to go along with these films. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, and as I can see here, uh, when it comes to the when it comes to music being involved with uh, silent films, apparently from what I can see from a. Uh, from a uh, Wikipedia's uh, take on silent films, uh, of course, whoever wrote articles on Wikipedia, they definitely have references to what they're saying, like way down below in the Wikipedia article. So, <clears throat> just to make that very clear, though, according to the Wikipedia art, the Wikipedia page of silent films that I see here, it wasn't only just uh, theater organs that were involved with it, but also there also happened to be. Uh, pianists involved and even a small orchestra involved with it as well though of course as we all know the organ or even theater organs in particular can have a lot more variety of sounds to play from it thus giving silent films a lot more uh how should we say it uh vividness or uh what either vividness or more life to them basically yeah. in the sun in the sense yeah. yeah yeah and it seems that you know it, it depends on the venue you know that the type of um 
music that you would get with it and it's and, and it runs the full gamut from full orchestra to uh, chamber orchestra you know as johnny said you know piano and organ or theater organs um and i i came across something that had mentioned synthesizers and i guess that um like you know in in this time period you know when we're talking the the early 20th century here um you know, synthesizers would not have been used just because of basically how complicated the instruments were back then. Um, you know, but nowadays, you know, if, if somebody were to recreate, you know, the, the experience of a silent film, a synthesizer would be something that would be appropriate, if not necessarily historically accurate, to use because of the because of the wide range of sounds that you can you can come up with on a synthesizer. Mm-hmm, indeed, for sure. So many possibilities with the synthesizer as well, for sure. Yes. And uh, hmm, so what one else of the is there? one one of the things that I found interesting in in looking through all of this was that. Um, you know, we, we think of going to, a, you know, a movie today, you know, and everything, you know, if you, if you go see a movie, you know, four or five times, it's going to be the same every single time. The music's going to be the same. The dialogue is going to be the same. It's going to take the same amount of time. Um, and original films, this was not the case at all. In fact, the silent film, silent films, and I, I know I said that term is a misnomer, but I think we're going to keep using it here because I, you guys know what we're talking about. Um you know, they, they were really considered live performances because so often, um, you know, there was live musical accompaniment with it. And, you know, that could change from from show to show. One of the other things that I found is, you know, this is in the days as the technology for, for movies is still developing. Projector speeds were not consistent. <laughs> Um, you know, so, so the playback could vary. And I actually came across something that I guess like in, in bigger theaters, places where they had like a chamber orchestra and a conductor, the conductor actually had something, I, I want to say it was called a rheostat. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that's the right term or not. Um, but basically had like a little knob that he could, you know, turn it and slow down or speed up the projection rate. So that it could line up with the orchestra. So, wow. like, you imagine, you know, standing up there conducting an orchestra, and you're going to slow the orchestra down, but you're just going to reach over here on the side and also slow down the picture. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So I thought that was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they would. Yeah, and the, when it comes to uh, preserving uh, silent films for uh, future uh, viewing, especially uh, today of course uh of course those live performances would then be now uh, baked for uh baked on uh any any kind of a uh, either physical media or even digital form of media for us to rewatch uh to rewatch them uh, nowadays thanks to the possibilities of recording technology thus not really ma- well at the time when they were recorded they were definitely live of course yes. <laughs> though <clears throat> at the time at the time when the silent films back Back in the back in its era, back in the back in the early twentieth century, everything was pretty much live, especially the music, of course. And thus, it was of of course, uh, of course, it was not very consistent. Though, of course, with though, of course, we are now uh, we've now been uh, spoiled a little bit with uh, <laughs> the possibilities of recording them for 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 future uh, uh, preservation. And the such, and being able to you know, re-enjoy what was done back in the day, and the such. 
And I yeah. believe um, the preservation for silent films with <clears throat> with uh, the music, I believe uh, that started. At, I believe that started somewhere in the 1960s. With that, if I'm not mistaken, I think so. Um, I I feel like I saw something that maybe said 1980s. So it might be it might even be a little more recent than that. Hmm, I see. Interesting. Okay, let's see what else do we have here. So. You know, so kind of stemming from, you know, the, the um, you know, the, the idea of the, you know, the, the live performance with the silent films, you know, we should take a quick look at the, the types of music that you would get with these, with these movies. Um, and, you know, just like you had a wide range of, you know, the instrumentation that could be used, you also had a wide range of the music that you would get. So, um you know, a lot of times it was improvised, and that's that's kind of what we think of today when we think of it. Um, you know, especially with an organist or a pianist, you know, that they would just sit there and kind of improvise. And obviously, you know, there's there's some structure to their improvisation. You know, they have they have ideas of you know kind of the sounds and, um, you know, um, you know different different like emotions that they want to evoke through their music at different points in the film. Um, so there was a lot of improvisation that was that was built into those. A, a number of films used um, music that was contemporary at the time. So you know like things that people would go you know to a concert and listen to. You know you might hear something like that um, in a in a movie. You know just as you think of you know take something like you know and I know that the, it's not exactly modern, but take like Guardians of the Galaxy. You know they have like that 80s and 90s soundtrack. You know that's kind of that's something that you might get when you go to a silent film. Is you know you might hear you know a popular song on the radio as as part of the music. Um, some of them did have original scores, like, you know, you know, we think of a film score today, you know, there were composers who would write out an entire film score for, for a movie. Um, these, these are kind of few and far between. That was more of the exception rather than the rule. Um, we also had, um, you know, or, organist pianists would also have um, these things called cue sheets, and it was basically, it's kind of like a cheat sheet for the film. It's like, you know, whoever, you know, created the movies is like, okay, we want a certain sound here at this point. So, you know, like, so-and-so says, you know, this, and like, and that's supposed to be, you know, like a, you know, like a little diminished chord for like the bad guy or something. Um You know, and so, you know, so it's something that, you know, you would have, um you know, you would have, um uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, re- repeatability, you know. So, like, you know, if you if you saw the movie, you know, a few times, you know, you would expect that. Okay, there's going to be this kind of music happening at this point in in the film, you know. So just to kind of give it some consistency, I think that's the word I was looking for. Um, and you know, if you fast forward to modern day interpretations of of silent film music, uh, there are some uh, transcriptions that exist of you know, historical performances that were recorded and then, you know, someone went through and, and wrote everything down so that it could be, you know, it could be replicated in the modern era, you know, trying to, trying to capture, you know, what the, the, the feel of that, you know, original, you know, original viewing, like how it was intended to be seen. I've, al- I've always said that I would, I would love to, I would love to do music for a silent film, but I can't improvise for anything. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, that's going to be a little bit tricky there. And uh, yeah, speaking of silent films, I yeah we are yeah we are you know briefly also talking about the history of silent films in general. And so I do want to brief briefly point out some uh, for the heck of it, I want to bring out some uh, 
the top grossing silent films uh, so far what I'm seeing top grossing films in the United States from the Wikipedia article that I see here top three that I see here The Birth of the Nation The Big Parade and Ben-Hur chronologically from 1915, 1925 and again 1925 for all three of those that I mentioned which uh, the uh, the gross rental wow yeah Birth of the Nation by far was the highest uh, grossing uh, silent film as far as I can see. Gross rental as far as I can see here it says $10 million. I don't know if that's $10 million with the figures back then or if that's adjusted for inflation in uh, today's money. Though I think it might be $10 million from that era. It might. And uh, adjusted for inflation it might be a little like pretty darn higher than that. I don't know. Yeah, I would think that would be... I don't know. It, it, it's hard to say. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It would be hard to say, especially uh, coming up with it. We would have to do some calculations for that. But, uh, yeah. I mean, really obviously, by today's, to... by today's standards, that is a paltry amount of money for a movie to make. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, yeah. Yep. But... Johnny, have you ever seen any silent films? Oh, I have seen some, yes. I have seen some before. Uh, for example, notably, uh, the ones I'm more familiar with actually would be uh, from Charlie Chaplin. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, the classic uh, Charlie Chaplin ones. Oh, yes. boy. Yeah, I don't really remember the names of most of them, though Charlie Chaplin definitely comes to mind. Yeah, yeah, he was he was, he was was a big name in that, in that industry. Oh, yeah, big time. <laughs> and he did have, of course, he did have some films that did have sound in them. Like, we could yes. finally hear his voice. Mm-hmm. For the first time, though he was definitely a lot more notable for making a good amount of silent films back in the day, and he was a really creative fella. Yeah, yeah. Of course, my my favorite will always be the classic Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> oh, which was uh, Phantom of the Opera, the silent film version of it. Yes. Okay. Yes, of course. And as far as I can see here, uh, Cecil B. DeMille actually did also create a silent film version of this one before he made that. Very well-known uh, 1950s version of it. Same thing goes with uh, Ben-Hur as well. Yes. The Ben-Hur, which was made in the uh, the 1920s, the silent film, it was also recreated, uh, well, recreated albeit with sound and a much uh, better projection quality. Uh, well, film quality, film and projection quality in the 1950s as well as, yeah, those are the more notable ones for yeah. sure. Charlie Chaplin, I, though that is a very well-known, uh, yeah, well-known yeah. name in the silent film era. For which ones of his that come to mind? There, yeah, I don't really remember how many films he that he directed and acted in, but pretty sure it yeah. must have been a good amount. Yeah, he was fairly prolific. <laughs> oh yeah. As far as I remember, I don't, yeah, from the Charlie Chaplin films that I watched, I don't really remember hearing, uh, yeah, as far as I'm aware, from the last time I ever watched a silent film, I didn't really remember hearing any organ music when I was, uh, theater organ music when I was listening to it. Mm-hmm. Maybe I would have to give it another listen, just in case. My memory's pretty pretty vague on that. What else is there? Anything else you want to add on on the the films themselves? Oh, the films themselves. Hmm. 
Oh yeah, pretty much more on the technical side of on the technical side of things here in terms of silent films. Of course, uh, most of us uh, would would be pretty well aware that uh, the standard standardization of uh, films being uh, produced and projected in theaters would happen to be 24 frames per second. Yet apparently, for silent films, they were shot at variable speeds, either from whether anywhere from 12 to 40 frames yep. per second. And I actually did happen to notice. Uh, that 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 it would be the case that sometimes it would be some would some moments would look a little choppy some a little bit more smooth for whatever reason and uh, apparently here on the wikipedia article it even says here standards standard silent film speed is often said to be 16 frames per second as a result of the lumiere brothers uh cinematography cinematograph uh but industry practice varied considerably. There was no actual standard back then. But yeah, the Lumiere brothers, of, of course, we shouldn't forget to mention them. I believe uh, they were the ones who uh, pi- pioneered uh, the um, the silent film, uh, the solid film genre, or even just producing films in general. You could say they wanted people to be their guest at movies. Hmm. Ah, hold on. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't really see it here. Sorry, that was a Disney reference. Oh, <laughs> okay. All right then. And speaking of uh, the technical uh, side of things, uh, as far as I can see here on the Wikipedia article regarding silent films, apparently Thomas Edison uh, had invented the uh, kinetograph, which was a phonetic device that captured uh, sequential images, and his uh, kinetoscope, which was a device for viewing those images allowed for the creation and exhibition for short films. Edison also made a business of selling kinetograph and kinescope equipment, which laid the foundation for widespread film production. And this is also where the Lumiere brothers come in after this, or after the start of it. It says also here, due to, Ed- due to Edison's lack of securing an international patent for his on his film inventions, similar devices were invented or probably uh, more, uh, uh, probably in a more correct term, innovated around the world. In France, for example, Augustine and Louis Lumière created the cinematograph, which I mentioned a little earlier, which proved to be more portable and a practical device that both that both of Edison's and both of Edison's as it combined a camera, film processor, and projector into one unit. Wow, that's some pretty yeah. Wow, didn't know they didn't know they were able to figure figure everything out with that. Uh, yeah, they were yeah they were able to figure out with some pretty good engineering there for sure. Being able to record everything at once and then uh, projecting into one unit that would remind me nowadays with uh, with uh, camcorders that would have its that would have their own built-in uh, projectors. <laughs> that Sony actually did release a few of those before. I do remember that, but uh, yeah, the cinematograph was uh, the first uh, to do that kind of thing, which is pretty cool. Though I believe uh, the cinematograph did have its uh, limit limitations, of course. Oh, in contrast to Edison's peep show style kinetic kinetoscope which only one person could watch through a viewer the cinematograph allowed simultaneous viewing by multiple people their first film 
sortie de unison, lumière de neon. <laughs> my French is... Yeah, I'm still trying to prove my French. Shot in 1894 is considered the first true motion picture. Interesting, but what's... Is there an English title for that? Oh, the English title for it, it was also known as Employees Leaving the... In, yeah, leaving the Lumiere factory, exiting the factory. I actually did remember seeing this on YouTube before, actually, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, it is considered the first true motion picture, albeit it was very short last time I saw it on YouTube. The invention of celluloid film, which was strong and flexible, greatly facilitated for making motion pictures, although the celluloid was highly flammable and decayed quickly, which was in brackets this film... This film was 35 millimeters wide and was pulled through four socket sprawls, which became the industry standard, the industry standard for shooting films from then. This doomed the cinematograph, which only worked with film on a single sprock on a single sprocket hole. Ahaha. So even though cinematograph uh, started the whole thing, 35 millimeter film with the uh, larger film cameras and projectors basically uh, swamped swamped it and uh, 35 millimeter film whether it's stills or even motion pictures shot on 35 millimeter 35 millimeter film you cannot deny uh, how you cannot deny how uh, good the uh, picture clarity is with a 35 millimeter film i'm talking as a <laughs> video production geek over here but yeah, pretty much anyone in general should should be able to you know notice even back in the eighties and nineties with the uh, with the introduction of uh, <clears throat> with the introduction of analog uh, camcorders and you know VCR you know camcorders and the such anyone could easily be able to tell the visual quality difference from a thirty five millimeter film from uh, <clears throat> from a v- from a VHS uh, recorded. Uh, tape back in the day of course and this is also why we're also now currently seeing on youtube 4k remasters of uh some music videos for instance from uh aha's take on me for instance and uh there was also uh wham's last christmas which was a uh, restored and uh remastered in 4k as well since that was completely shot in film and of course we cannot deny uh how uh, we cannot deny how uh Awesome, those uh, songs are. And I personally really like those songs myself. I'm <laughs> being a little biased there. But <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I've, yeah, uh, yeah I, I know I got a little bit off tangent there, but I just really wanted to get that out of yeah. the way. But yeah, that is really interesting how far uh, silent films came with how it all started. Yeah. Oh, boy. So I think from from there we should probably move into the, the theater organ aspect of mm. of this this topic. Yep, now we can definitely do that. So the the theater organ was developed um, in the late 19th century, early 20th century. Kind of, um, it, it became an offshoot of the development of the pipe organ. Um, and, and theater organs really came to prominence in about the 1920s. There was a man by the name of Robert Hope Jones, and he, you know, he was, you know, kind of just looking to see, you know, what, you know, how he could improve the organ, you know, how and expand it, you know, with with it as the technology was changing. He wasn't necessarily looking to, you know, 
put organs into theaters. You know, he just wanted to, you know, he just wanted to see what you could do with the instrument. Um, and then in 1910, his work was picked up by the Wurlitzer Company. And that's, if you're familiar at all with theater organs um, or even pianos, you've probably come across the name Wurlitzer before. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, go ahead. Yeah, and I was also about to mention, yeah, Wurlitzer, yeah, Wurlitzer is definitely one of the one of the well-known uh, <clears throat> theater organ uh, builders for sure. That so very well known, in fact, that uh, you can even find Wurlitzer that you can even find some Wurlitzer uh, uh, sound uh, uh, Wurlitzer uh, virtual virtual pipe organs with Hoftorp as well, which is really interesting to see that they're on there. That Milan Audio was able to, you know, find some Wurlitzer organs and uh, make it ready there, which is a uh, pretty cool. But yeah, uh, that's, yeah, that's, other than that, yeah, that's cool that they preserved that. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, for sure. So, um, yeah, so so Wurlitzer kind of picked up, you know, what um, what Hope Jones had been working on and and kind of ran with it and expanded it and turned it into, you know, what we now think of as a theater organ. The um, the 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 first instrument that they made was called the Wurlitzer Hope Jones Unit Orchestra. Um, and I, I found it interesting that they actually didn't use the term organ. They used the term unit orchestra. And I think, Johnny, you had come across something with that with that name as well. Aha, uh-huh, yes. For the classic, yes. Uh, yeah, when it comes to classic pipe, classical uh, pipe organs or just organs in general, they would also typically have the uh, the term for it, which is one man orchestra. So yes. I think that's where the term would come from. One yes. man orchestra, unit orchestra. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, though. Yeah. Figuratively uh, speaking, or I'm not sure if that's the right word to say. <laughs> Theater organ would definitely, or cinema organ, actually. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, in the UK, they call it a cinema organ. Oh, okay. That's pretty cool to know that. Interesting. Nice. Yeah. So obviously, you know, Wurlitzer is the, is the is the big name that we think of, but um, uh, there there were some other builders um, that were that were fairly prominent. Moeller was one, Kimball was another, uh, Marin Colton. I think Johnny, you mentioned Warren. Yeah, Warren um, was one of them that I saw. Yeah, um, you know, and these and these are companies that you know that made both theater organ and pipe organ. Um, Moeller and Kimball, I know for sure. Um, I actually there are actually two local instruments where I live. Um, one is a Moeller and one's a Kimball, um, both that I've played on. So, you know, so there's a wide range that they of instruments, types of instruments that they worked on. Mm-hmm. So when you think of, you know, when, when you think of that theater organ, there was, you know, like, like pipe organs, you know, there was no one standard theater organ. You know, they all, they all were custom built, um, you know, but there were, there were some similarities, you know, across the board of, of sounds that you would expect to get. Um, so, you know, if you were looking at, you know, at common theater organ stops, you know, you have a, you have a stopped wooden pipe, which is known as a tibia, um, you have a, a vox humana, which is a capped reed. There would usually be some kind of string stop, an open flute, um, and then an open reed. And then, of course, the kind of the staple, maybe maybe you would call it the signature sound of the theater organ, is the the, the great use of tremulance. Um, you know, and the tremulant is you know something that causes a, a vibration in the sound. Um, you know, you think of like a, a flute or a um, 
you know, a, a violin, you know, with vibrato, you know, and it's something that you get on a theater organ. And pipe organs have tremulance as well, but they tend to be much more pronounced on theater organs. And it, get, it has that really distinct style. And if you've ever heard one, you know exactly what I'm talking about, mm-hmm. um, you know. We should we we should um we should find an example of a of a theater organ performance that we can that we can link in the show notes once we're done here, um, yep, so that they if you sure. know if, if if Mavericks out there wanna wanna hear what one sounds like if you've never heard one before, um, I'll I'll have to dig up. There's a really cool performance of the Star Wars main title done on a theater organ. Oh yeah, I believe um, I remember seeing something like that before. Yeah, for sure. So you you will get that true sound. Um, so the you know those are the things that were kind of standard across the board. You know, and you would have um, you'd have theater organs that were anywhere from like two to six manuals. You know, and somewhere from ten, you know, to upwards of forty fifty ranks of pipes. And then um, you know the larger instruments would also have like bigger brass instruments. So things that would be like saxophones and trumpets and trombones. And then a, a wide range of percussion, and you know, you know, you'd have you know bells and chimes and things like that. You'd have you know kettle drums, timpanis, you know. So you'd have a mix of both pitched and non-pitched percussion in there um, to just you know really add a range of of sound effects that you could use to enhance the films. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know if we. Uh, I don't. Yeah, I'm not sure if we mentioned this yet, though I'm pretty uh, certain as well that a lot of uh, theater organs would would typically also have some classical stops, as, classical pipe organ stops as well. Yes, as a foundation before yes. everything else is added in. And as far as I can see here on the uh, theater organ Wikipedia page here, yeah, according to what it says here, real real musical instruments not previously associated with the pipe organ. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> and so what? Ge- what gives the, the theater organ? All, um, what makes the theater organ more unique? Yes, is uh, the, yeah, not previously associated with the pipe organ were installed in the pipe chambers to be uh, pneumatically operated at will by the organist. I've been having a little bit of a trouble trying to say that word. Pneumatically. <laughs> like, Pneumatic. Pneumatically. So the P silent. Okay. Yes. Such instruments as piano, drums, cymbals, xylophone, marimba, orchestra bells, chimes, cat- castanets, wood blocks, and even tuned sleigh bells could be played from the organ <laughs> keyboards. Oh boy, yeah, the sleigh bells, They that definitely fits with, with Christmas music for sure. Yeah. Sound effects such as train and boat whistles, car mm-hmm. horns, sirens, bird whistles, and imitation of ocean surf yep. could be used. <laughs> wow. Okay. Oh, my goodness. Hold the phone here. Okay. So, <clears throat> essentially what I'm seeing here as well, I've just started to realize here. The theater organ essentially uh, was, yeah, the theater organ, as far as I can see, it pretty much already came way earlier before you know before a synthesizer uh a synthesizer with a lot of preset sounds would come into place yes. so essentially speaking a theater organ the, the theater organ like it the theater organ pretty much by itself it's pretty much an acoustic uh an acoustic synthesizer in <laughs> yeah <a> sense, <laughs> pretty much yeah really <laughs> interesting that is a really interesting analogy to mm-hmm. put it that way wow yeah yeah as far as I can, as far as I'm, a, 
As far as I can see, I, I'm pretty darn certain that uh, theater organs haven't really been used. As far as I'm aware, I haven't really been seeing theater organs used uh, used uh, that often. What I'm trying to say is, is that it's the theater organ. Even classical pipe organs should definitely be used a lot more often for yes. for soundtracks for soundtracks in a lot of media, movies, TV shows, video games, whatever whatever it is you want to throw at it. Yeah. Like seriously, there's a lot of potential that the that the organ instruments have and yet Well, no, I I, th- I think I understand what you're trying to say, you know. Yeah. So with, you know, with the advent of the ability to include sound with theaters uh, mm-hmm. or with movies, um, you know, theater organs essentially completely fell out of use. Um, mm-hmm. you know, they were considered a novelty and, you know, and, you know, with, with being able to include sound with your picture, theaters no longer had to employ organists, you know, which I, yeah. I, I don't know I don't know what a salary was for something like that, but when you consider, you know, you had to have somebody to play for every show, obviously that's you know, that that, that that's a that's a fairly um, you know, high price tag to have and when you can eliminate uh-huh. that position, you know, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it saves yes. the theaters yes. a lot of money. And yeah, that is so true. You know, and so, like I said, you know, it really, it completely fell out of fashion, mm-hmm, and, yeah. you know, it, it was a novelty, and it wasn't used, and then I think it was somewhere between the, the 60s and the 80s, there was kind of a, a revitalization, and, you know, some older older theater organs had been discovered, you know, and were worked to be preserved and restored, and it's it's now... it. You know, it's now become kind of an art form. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, you know, I've yeah. I, I've heard a couple of performances from theater organs, and you know, it, it is it is really cool to hear. It, it it's really neat to see you know them being used in that. Um, and I know, and th- th- there certainly are not a lot of theater organs left. Um, it was funny. I was reading someplace, and you know, everybody, you know, every time someone comes to me and talks about, oh, you know, we were at this pizza parlor, and they had this Wurlitzer pipe organ. Yep, <laughs> there are there are a number of places. I think there is. I know there's one in. Tampa, Florida. I think there is one. I, I actually think there's one in Grand Rapids, Michigan, which is close to where I live. Um, but there are there are a number of these uh, pizza parlors, you know, that kind of kind of took adopted these instruments and and gave them a home and a use. And so, you know, there are definitely people who still play these instruments, um, you know. And, and you can, I, I would think, in just about any major city, you can probably find, you know, there's probably a theater organ that, you know, and if it exists, I'm sure there are people who who play it and still do these silent movies. They're 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 fairly rare. Um, you know, but you you can still find these performances and get to go experience something like that, and it, they're a lot of fun to do because you know it, it's fun to kind of experience those those movies and you know get to see what what an organist can do with that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, indeed. For instance, <clears throat> yeah, for instance, some uh, locations. Yeah, I can see that there are a lot of uh, theater organs that are still uh, that are still uh, open in uh, in the in the United States for sure. More notably, the Boardwalk Hall Auditorium organ, which happens to have like, uh, like several organs in several organs in one, like the Boardwalk Hall Auditorium organ. It not only has, like, it not only would have a lot of classical stops, but also a good amount of theater organ stops, which is pretty cool to know. And of course, uh, that organ is still. As of the recording of this episode, it's still undergoing uh, undergoing a restoration. Though, as far as I'm aware, at least 50, 50, 55% of it 
has been uh, restored right now, which uh, is pr a pretty good amount. That <clears throat> a pretty good amount so far that it's been that it's pretty much playable. Yeah. Albeit with albeit not all of it is playable, though still yeah. decently playable. Someone told me recently that apparently there are there there are no pistons on that organ, hmm. or if there are, they don't work. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. I could not imagine trying to manage that many stops without, without pistons. pistons. Oh yeah, like you need sure. like ten people. <laughs> oh man, yes, <laughs> for sure. And of course, uh, there are many other uh, locations in the United States that still have. Um, yeah, st that still have uh, theater organs still operating to this day, and. For uh, for uh, for fellow Canadian for Canadians, especially myself, there are at least five that are still open. The one that's close to where I live in Toronto, in Casaloma, out of all places, this is the first time I'm I'm this is the first time I've ever heard that there is even that there is even a theater organ at Casaloma, and Casaloma is considered a. Uh, one of the popular one of the popular attractions in Toronto, and by the name Casaloma, yes, it is uh, pretty much a castle. Well, it's more of a mansion, though it has a castle kind of like design to it. Though I may definitely want to book a visit to Casaloma in the future and get a look at it and even play on it for a bit. I would love to play on it. Oh, apparently it's a apparently it is a Wurlitzer organ, Wurlitzer Opus. Mm -hmm. 558 July 1922 though apparently it's a Warren console strangely enough I don't know Interesting. why yep and of course there are a few uh, more on here one in uh, Ren Renfrew Ontario another in Vancouver British Columbia or BC <clears throat> the other in Ancaster Secondary School in Ancaster Ontario and another one in Calgary the National Music Center and this one's a Kimball unit orchestra, the one in Calgary. Interesting. And of course, there are a good amount in uh, Europe, some good amount in the United Kingdom. And apparently, there is actually a YouTube channel that <clears throat> that, is actually, that is actually teaching uh, others uh, how to play the piano and even uh, organ and theater organ. Uh, the, this person's name is, uh, I believe it's Tim Horton. No, no, not <laughs> Tom Horton. Tom Horton, I believe, is his name. Yeah. I don't want to get it mistaken with the uh, well-known Canadian uh, <laughs> Canadian uh, caf uh, coffee uh, fast food place. Now uh, I want a donut, yeah. Johnny. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> what have I done? Uh, okay. Uh, joking aside, though, <laughs> this uh, Tom Horton uh, person, uh, Keyboard Skills Pro is the name of his YouTube channel. Actually, I, I pretty much gave him a shout-out right there, actually. I think he might <laughs> rather appreciate that shout-out, actually. You know what? That reminds me. I'll definitely uh, will definitely leave a link for his channel in the episode notes for you guys to check it out yourself because he does uh, show uh, how to play the organ. He did happen to use one of these. He might have used one of these organs that are listed on the uh, theater organ uh, Wikipedia site to showcase how it uh, how it works and how to play it and the such. Mm -hmm. United Kingdom definitely has a good amount. So does yep. Germany, Netherlands, Switzerland. One in France and only one in Italy, <laughs> and it also it also looks like they're um, they can be found in Australia as well. Oh wow! Um, I'm seeing here. There's like a division of the it looks like the Theater Organ Society. Um, yeah, apparently has a has a has a bit of a 
culture in Australia. Oh, so, wow. That's cool to know. Yeah. Nice. And uh, yeah, on the article here, new versus original technology, uh, digital theater organs, though. Aha, yes. Built by companies such as Walker Theater Organs. That's a new name. Though, I've however, actually, I've, I've heard of them. Oh, Walker. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. However, I think, and I think Walker is another one that does both um, pipe organs and theater organs. Oh, interesting. Though, yeah, the two more more notable uh, companies that actually did also produce uh, digital theater organs, Allen is one of them. Whether you like them or not, Allen does exist, and so does Rogers. I don't know if Rogers even uh, produces digital theater organs uh, to an extent nowadays, but Allen still does, so I would give them kudos for that. <clears throat> However, for virtual theater organs, I did mention already a little bit I did mention previously about Hoptwork, and yes, the article does mention Hoptwork Virtual Organ by Milan Audio. Yeah, Milan Digital Audio, yes. They did, uh, on the free edition, You allows you to try and try before you buy. There's even a free, free-to-use sample set containing a fully-featured three-manual 10-rank theater organ supplied by Paramount Organ Works. Another theater organ sample set supplies are... Oh, suppliers are Milan Audio and uh, Key. Oh, Key Media Productions. Yeah, I was just reading off of that. Okay, yeah. So apparently, aside from the uh, the American Guild, uh, aside from the American Guild of Organists, there is apparently such a thing as the American Theater Organ Society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty uh, interesting to see. And the UK apparently also has the Cinema Organ Society. Yeah, in the UK they called them Cinema Organs. Aha, uh-huh, yeah, they yeah they what we would call theaters in North America, the UK would call them cinemas, and similarly with uh, France uh, and a lot of other places. Australia, yeah, you did mention about Australia. They do have various divisions of of a theater organ society, a theater organ society of Australia or TOSA. That's what they would call them. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, what about the other uh, builders, though? Wurlitzer, we did mention about Wurlitzer before. Of course, Wurlitzer is the top. Ah, apparently I do see here in the time frame. <clears throat> they, they definitely produced over 2,000 of them, though they only produced them from 1911 to 1942. Uh, 1942 was the year uh, the United States uh, got uh, involved in the World War II. Uh I think, uh, yeah, the resources that Wurzer had, uh, they, I think, uh, they were endlessly needed for to be supplied for the war or something like that. I don't know why, or I don't know what would be the backstory of Wurzer shutting down production from 1942. Though that is just my speculation. I don't know the full story. Yeah, I, yeah. I feel like I have heard about that before. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if it was, it was. Um, basically a lack of income due to you know money going going toward the war effort or i feel like i feel like maybe like they they changed like what they were producing and so like they were actually producing something for the war effort um uh-huh interesting of course there's also robert morton produced over 900 stop uh started in 1920s ended in 1931 uh-huh yeah yeah not yeah, 1931 would be at around the the Great Depression or the or the 
during the beginning of the Great Depression from there, so that can be understandable that they stopped there. Not, yes, I'm so, starting um, to see a trend here, actually. With, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so Wurlitzer, yeah, you were saying in 1942, so they basically they stopped production of organs um, to make, uh, what is this, uh, bomb proximity fuses. Um, so they did shift their production to something f- specifically for the war effort. Um, hmm. In yeah, in 1942. Wow, interesting. Yeah, I'm also actually starting to see a trend with the time frame of these uh, manufacturers of the uh, theater organs. Barr and Colton, for instance, I see here stop stopped at 1932. Robert Morton, 1931. Again, 1931 by Barden. Yeah, these were definitely at around the time of the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's uh, pretty. Uh, it's. Uh, pretty sad to an extent that they would end at around there because I can imagine during the Great Depression all, a huge majority of people uh, were not uh, yeah there wasn't uh, yeah type, uh, times were pretty tough back then so I can imagine why it was like that in terms of a retrospective and, a, and you mentioned earlier about a Robert Hope uh, Jones yeah apparently uh, yeah he he was sold his uh his uh, production was sold over to Wurlitzer like mm-hmm. la- later on. And there is also Etsy Theater Organs Austin. Oh, Austin. Oh, Austin know. Organs. Apparently, they also made theater organs as well. Huh. huh. Yeah. And apparently, uh, the section here that I'm seeing here in the article, Manufacturers and Production Totals, there's one other notable name here. Actually, I'll, for the heck of it, I'll just read this uh, paragraph. <clears throat> These were the major. Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on a minute. Oh uh, yeah, these were the major builders of theater organs listed in order of production. Yeah, with the ones that I mentioned earlier, the numbers listed here, the ones that I mentioned already. Though, of course, you'll see them in the link that we'll post. Numbers listed are for theater organs only. Do not. Oh, they don't include any classical organs that may have been produced. Many builders of church organs also made theater organs in very small numbers such as Casavant and really only, yeah apparently Casavant actually did make theater organs as well which is interesting which only made oh Casavant only made seven of them huh, huh. But thousands thousands of church organs though oh yeah so yeah and still are producing church organs <laughs> yeah they're still produce yeah they're still producing church organs though I think uh with their uh catalog with their uh production catalog I don't I'm m- I don't know if they might take special requests. <clears throat> I don't know if they're. I don't know uh, if they would take special requests for uh, theater organs. Though, as far as I, as far as I'm aware, there was that uh, there was that organ in uh, Germany, which was a mix of a pipe organ and a theater organ, and I don't remember which uh, builder helped uh, restore that. I don't know if it was uh, Casavant who uh, restored that or if it was a different uh, I don't know. builder who restored it. <clears throat> yeah, there was that there was yeah, there's a certain guy on YouTube who uh, actually made a video on that one. I forgot his name though. He did a German version and an English version. Those yeah. of you who who those of you uh, who are hearing this you some of you who maybe those of you who would be familiar with what I'm saying that he made a German and English version of it. You might know what I'm talking about, though I don't really remember the name of this uh, guy, though there was that one instance of that. But 
That is pretty surprising as well to Welp Kimball. Of course, Kimball also did produce church organs as well. That's that's a given. Though Austin organs, that's also pretty cool to see that. Though Cassavant or Cassavant out of all places, I didn't expect <laughs> to see Cassavant. Yeah, I would not expect that. that from them. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's pretty interesting uh, to know that they actually did produce yeah. theater organs even though they produced thousands more church organs. But, yeah, yeah. it's pretty cool to know. Yep. Hmm. So, so one mm-hmm. other thing that I, I think we should touch on is kind of the, the unique look of a theater organ console. Aha, uh-huh, yes. Um, so, you know, as I said, you know, if you've ever seen one of these, you know what I'm talking about. They, the, the theater organ really um, pioneered this idea of the horseshoe console. And so... You know, where a, where, you know, where like a traditional church pipe organ, you know, you think, you know, the stop, you know, either they have the, the, the draw knobs for the stops, you know, to either side of the manuals or stop tabs directly above the manuals on a, um, on a theater organ, they're arranged basically in a horseshoe ring around the manuals. So basically they're all, you know, within the same relative, um, reach so that the organist can very quickly change a number of stops by hand, um, you know, and like traditional pipe organs, they have pistons, you know, to change combinations of them. But, you know, it was really designed to to be very, I guess, user-friendly, um, you know, is the way to think about it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and also, um, you know, built built in such a way that, you know, could be put in a dark theater. And, you know, it's so like above the stop, you know, the stop tabs, there's, you know, a little bit of lighting so that the organist is able to see it, you know, without, you know, producing so much light that it's distracting to the audience. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, yeah, because of that, yeah, the horseshoe, yeah, the horseshoe console design, I'd say is a, it's a really clever piece of engineering with uh, how, how, uh, yeah, Robert Hope, uh, I believe it was Robert Hope Jones who, uh, who pioneered that design. If I I'm think not mistaken. so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because yeah, that is uh, actually very, yeah, that is definitely very clever, uh, clever, uh, very darn clever engineering with yeah. how. Yeah, you know, and yes. if you and if you think about you know the practical use of it, you know, when when you think of a pipe organ, yes, you know, you change stops, but the amount that you would change compared to how much you how much how many registration changes you would use, you know, over the course of you know like you know an hour and a half long movie is considerably higher on the theater organ. So you know you would think there would need to be you know. Um, an adjustment to the console, you know, to be able to quickly make those changes, you know, especially because, you know, if you need like, you know, yeah, you need that train whistle. Well, you need that train whistle for 10 seconds and then you don't need it again, you know, to, you know, for it to be, you know, an obscure location way off on the side, it would be very hard to, you know, to get at quickly and, you know, and then turn off, you know, but if it's, you know, right here, just a couple inches from your hands, very easy to turn on and turn off, you know, without, without you having to interrupt anything else you might be playing at the same time. Now, when it comes to how the theater organ operates, like, um, you know, when it comes to how a theater organ operates within the, uh, like, its backbone or uh, ele- uh, the electronics of it, like, how it really worked. Yeah. In, when we look at a certain retrospective, I would not, I would not imagine at all a theater organ work with a, with a, with a tracker action. I really don't <laughs> see that being practical. Whatsoever. No. Yeah, no way. Absolutely not. And that is uh, why electro, electro-pneumatic action was definitely the solution for this. I don't even know if electro-pneumatic uh, action was 
introduced to classical pipe organs first before theater organs or if it was uh trans or if the idea was taken from theater organs to then be play- to then be used for classical pipe organs i, I don't I, know what's I, the order i think it started with pipe organs um I, I can't say this for an absolute fact i would have to i would have to look it up um but i actually i actually feel like i i i feel like Cavai cole actually started experimenting with it um, okay with electro-pneumatic action um, so nice. I, I have a feeling because, you know, the, the, the technology was developing, you know, for the, you know, for a quote unquote traditional pipe organ, um, you know, before really, you know, a, a, a fair amount of time before theater organs came into prominence. Um, so mm-hmm. I would imagine, I would imagine it went to the theater organ instead of the other way around. Yes. Although yes. I, 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 I suspect, you know, and again, would need to do a little bit more research into this, but I suspect that there were probably, you know, with the theater organ being developed, you know, separately, but also by, you know, major, you know, pipe organ builders, you know, I, I imagine that some of that technology went back and forth. You know, mm-hmm. was it was like, oh, well, we need to be able to do this on the theater organ. Hey, that's a really good idea. Let's put that into a church organ. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so I think that covers just about everything. Is there anything else you wanted to add to this, Johnny? Hmm. Let's see here. I'm not particularly sure if there is anything else aside from electro-pneumatic action, which we already mentioned before. Yeah, and I already... Of course, I already mentioned a little earlier how impractical tracker action would be on a theater <laughs> organ. Yes. Like, if we were to put that into practice right now, like, Im- um, wow, that that would be a nightmare. <laughs> that would be such a nightmare. A theater organ using tracker action. Wow. Yeah. I No, I would not want to play that whatsoever. <laughs> that would be, no, too much. And thankfully, like, Thankfully, all theater organs tend to use electro-pneumatic action, which makes things so much easier Yeah. in general. And uh, yeah, there was definitely a lot with uh, this, though. Rob and I have um, delved into the uh, basics and uh, somewhat delved a little bit deeper into some parts of it. Though, of course, we will leave uh, links to our sources in the episode notes for for you fellow fellow mavericks to look up your to look up for yourselves yep. and as such since of course there was a lot to talk about though so little time yes i i and i, I kind of want to close this this um this discussion out on a personal note mm-hmm. um and i don't know i don't know if i've specifically talked about this before on the podcast um you know and i know i started this off with a disclaimer of you know i don't really like you know the- theater organ is not my cup of tea but at the same time, it is a lot of what inspired me to what I am currently doing as far as my organ arrangements go. Mm-hmm. Um, I, like I said, I don't know if I talked about this before, but this was um, this was really how everything got started because I've always been fascinated by this idea of you know using the organ to accompany um, you know to accompany a movie. And, you know, I, I, I've seen people do silent movies, both on theater organs and on pipe organs, and I've always been impressed by it. It's always, it's always so much fun to watch. And I said, but I'm never going to be able to do that because I can't improvise for anything. And, you know, and so the, the, the idea that I had kind of hit on was, you know, well, what if you could do, like, the modern-day equivalent of the silent movie organist? You know, let's take, you know, take a, a take a, a, 
you know, a modern movie that has a, you know, that has an orchestral film score, arrange that score for the organ and, you know, and then perform it and show the movie at the same time. And I know there mm-hmm. are, there are symphony orchestras that do this, you know, they yeah. have like, you know, these yeah. theater goes, you know, or the, yeah, uh, in concerts. They, yeah, you know, um, you know, they do it like Star Wars and Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings and things yeah. like that. Yeah, and, and fun- Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah go ahead. So, yeah, and funny enough, you should mention that there was also an in concert for for uh, Home Alone in uh, the Roy Thompson Hall in uh, nice. Toronto. I've been wanting to go to that one though. Unfortunately, <laughs> the tickets were sold out. Ah, oh. yeah, like a, <laughs> Home Alone is such a beloved uh, Christmas uh, movie that apparently a lot of a lot of people really wanted to hear the 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 movie with a, a live. Yeah. Orchestra, and I wanted to go to that as well because it was a really interesting idea. But unfortunately, yeah. tickets are sold out, so I'm gonna have to <laughs> be a little faster next time that pops up. Yeah, I know there's a the the local um, uh, or symphony orchestra um, where I live. They do, um, you know, they do they do one or two of those concerts every year, and they are wildly popular. Um, and I've been to a number of them, and that was. That was kind of what I said. It was like, well, you could do this on the organ, and you know, so that was kind of that was that was the start of you know my my um, foray into arranging music for the organ because I actually went and found a couple of songs, um, you know, and said, hey, let's try this and see if it works, and yeah, and so I actually pursued that for a couple of years, and actually talked to someone in a major. Um, um, film producing company uh you can probably guess which by the type of work and arrangements that i do um and he says like i really like the idea unfortunately we have no way to make that happen right now so it's on hold and i'm pursuing other things but it's still in the back of my mind is something that i would love to do someday so Mm. oh that's what the person said huh that's, well, that's, well that's, yeah, that was basically what I was told. Is it, it, it's a really nice idea. There's just no way to implement it with how you know with how the rights for the movies work and things like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, though they should definitely make note of that uh, when uh, we <clears throat> when uh, both you and I start uh, <clears throat> start uh, getting a uh, you know more you know well known <clears throat> well known in general with the work that we uh, that we do by of course not giving up with the work that we do and also making. Making not only make your work on YouTube, um, you know, much more well known, though also with the podcast that we're producing here for you, yep. for you guys as well, making it very well known around the world that uh, that uh, we really want, we really want to do, you know, what it takes to keep uh, the, you know, to keep a uh, to keep the or- uh, the pipe organ and the the organ in general as as relevant as as relevant as uh, as much more relevant as possible, especially with the extreme versatility of the instrument being really underutilized. And I know that there are, <clears throat> I know that there are also you know digital audio workstations and the such, and they're they are interesting to work with, though a lot of them, of course, they may not even have. You know, organ uh, sound samples, though, of course, there are also the digital ones, though, when it comes to the actual instrument itself, when, when it comes to, you know, it being used, there's a lot that the, there's a lot that the Piper can, can be used for, you know, a lot of things as well. We've ta- we've mentioned this so many times already, 
and uh, because we've been mentioning it a few times, that should already tell that should already tell how serious we are with wanting to you know make it make it known that we really want to keep the art of organ music alive, especially with how with how underappreciated it is, uh, how very underappreciated it is being right now, and as such. Yeah. So, I think that's going to do it for this topic. I hope you Mavericks have enjoyed taking this little journey with us. Mm-hmm. We would, of course, always, as always, love to hear from you guys. If any of you are theater organ fans, um, you know, have anything to add, you know, we would we would love to hear from you. Or you can um, always reach us at organmavericks at gmail dot com. And of course, yeah. we are we are always looking for new topics for future podcasts. So if you have any any anything you'd like us to cover on this podcast, definitely let us know that as well. Mm-hmm. Indeed. And in case, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I, when I when Rob was mentioning the uh, email, he didn't. Yeah, when Rob was mentioning the email, uh, well, yeah, I believe you said at a little bit too uh, quiet. So it's I'll repeat it again for clarity: Organ Mavericks at gmail.com to make it to make it uh, more clear on that now on youtube i'm known as johnny music j-o-n-n-y is how you spell johnny and as of the time this episode was recorded i have over 2200 subscribers on there and uh, you'll also find it with the uh, yellow looking jm logo and uh, yeah you should be able to find it find it well there and even if you type type up organ covers you should be able to find my videos pretty easily as well from there. As for Facebook and Instagram, I am at Johnny Cell Productions, J-O-N-N-Y-S-E-L Productions. Johnny Cell Productions is the parent company of Johnny Music. And also on Twitter, I am at Johnny underscore Cell. Again, that is at J-O-N-N-Y underscore Cell. That is how you will find me on Twitter. And now, Rob, what are your social medias? On YouTube, my channel is Yensid Organist. I do covers of Disney music and vlogs about the organ and Disney World. And Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, I am at Yensid Organist. And so, fellow Mavericks, this concludes episode 15 of the history of silent movies and the theater organs involvement specifically. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.